Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Powered by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 898 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, man, it feels good to be back in home base, the office, everything. It, it, feels, uh, it feels right to be back here on this fine Sunday evening. It's always good to get back home, isn't it? There's nothing better. There's no better feeling than getting back home, especially to the great state of North Carolina, and I'm fired up for another Sunday night pod. So I see the routine hoodie that you're wearing. Shout out to Routine Baseball for 10% off. Head over to routine.com slash backside ground ball. But what's the hat you're wearing? Uh, this is a Badlands National Park hat. Looks like I'm it's got some sweat, sweat stains like on the inside hats. when he took it off. Not going to lie. No, 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 no. It's just a design on the inside. Of the oh, room, okay. I was about to say, someone's out there doing if, yard work in their Badlands National Park hat. No, no. So if I had to guess there, that's like a, this is really good podcasting. Tune into YouTube to see this. Phoebe, clip this for YouTube. This is a topography map, I believe, of Badlands National Park, right? I would guess so, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty cool hat here. Um yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. I, I was going to ask you off air, and then I figured, why not ask him on the air so we can get concrete evidence about, about the hat. But today, Dan posted it on Twitter. We got some love in the DMs. We're doing a mailbag episode for anybody who's interested in getting your questions to us. Uh, you can follow us over on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. But we got a ton of questions here. We're going to try to get through as many as we can. So that means Dan and I actually have to be quick and frank, and we can't go 15 minutes on every answer because we'll be here all night. And quite frankly, I think on this fine Sunday evening, None of us want to be here all night. So we're going to enjoy this little hour of Q&A that we got, uh, mailbag style, and and uh, have a fun episode that's going to come to you on Monday before we all kick off the work week. So, Dan, you ready to get into some mailbag questions? Let's do it. All right, kicking it off from the West Coast, we're going out of the three current NL wildcard teams, which is the biggest pretender? We've got the San Francisco Giants, the Miami Marlins, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Dan, what are your thoughts on which one of those teams is the largest pretender? This is actually a tougher question than I thought it was going to be. If we're staying true to what we said the other night, I guess I, I would say Miami. Um, I have a lot of concerns about San Francisco. 
but every time it feels like, especially recently, the Giants get into the playoffs, it feels like, how did this roster make it? They just continue to win games. Um, so this is kind of something we've seen. So I'm going to stick with Miami. I just don't think when you win that many one-run games, again, I said it the other day, for a half of a season, it's it's doable to, you know, continue that throughout a full 162 game season. I just don't think it's possible. They have one of the easier schedules in April and May. They banked a lot of wins. Um, I don't think their offense is good enough to keep them in the position. So for me, it's Miami. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably leaning towards being with you. I think San Francisco is the roster that I would probably lean more on the side of just not being good enough if that makes sense i think that miami has a little bit more talent i like the jorge solares of the world i obviously like sandy alcantara we all know luis arias is um, his biggest fan and biggest supporter so um you know i obviously think that miami carries some talent i think arizona is obviously the one that is the easiest to say is not a pretender they are absolutely loaded on both sides of the ball so we can take them out of the equation but san francisco i just wish there was more right outside of logan webb a lot of question marks on the mound in terms of star power don't really have any guys that really stand out in terms of going to be competing for MVPs and can carry you for a stretch so that's why i'll go with the giants there but obviously both three teams have had a great season and the second half is going to define them so we're going to stick on the narrative of the second half so dan give me your surprise team for the second half who is going to make some noise yeah this is this is a tough one because again i feel like we saw a lot of surprise teams um in the first half um you know whether it was cincinnati or miami um or teams like that baltimore but for me, I think the surprise team that I think people, you know, at the beginning of this season wouldn't call this a surprise. But Toronto, they, you know, we're sitting here on Sunday. They've won eight of their last nine. They're, you know, they're making it. They're creeping up on on Baltimore's and uh, Tampa Bay's heels now. All of a sudden, they're in third place. And they have they hold the second wild card spot now. Um, and look, that's a team that's load. That's a roster that's loaded. They kind of sputtered a little bit out of the gate and it looks like as of right now that they're kind of finally hitting their stride they just swept out the diamondbacks um so i'm gonna go toronto who's gonna make things interesting especially if baltimore doesn't do anything to get any help in the rotation um toronto could catch them um and i wouldn't be all that surprised not anything against baltimore but i think toronto has that much talent on their team and could you know potentially do it yeah i was as i was scanning the standings as we kind of broke down this question and and we're going to put this in the episode that was a team that i was i had circled as potentially being uh my choice but obviously i'm going to let you take that answer there the team that i thought coming out of friday night or was it thursday night whenever we kicked off the second half again friday night was the san diego padres and then now they're fighting tooth and nail just to split a series with the phillies because after the the doubleheader sweep so i'm gonna go with the milwaukee brewers right they came out corbin burns he cut his hair he looks absolutely phenomenal he punches out 13 the cutter looks good he looked like he changed up his pitch mix a a little bit going to the curveball early getting a lot of swings and misses if corbin burns 
runs down these Cy Young candidates and has an elite second half. Freddie Peralta had a great game on Saturday as well, looking sharp. They shut down the really good Cincinnati Reds offense. They're sitting 10 games above 500 right now. They've obviously gained some ground on the Cincinnati Reds. So I think they are a team that we will be keeping an eye on. And obviously if that lineup can perform a little better, it should be a formidable second half team. Yeah, and Christian Yelich, I mean, too, with the Brewers, I love that pick just because, you know, I think we both like the Brewers roster at the beginning of the year if their pitching's healthy. But, Yel- I mean, Yelich has been unbelievable now. He's been on a heater um, really since we got into the summer months. He had three more hits today, another home run. He's all the way up to 286 with an 850 OPS, and it kind of just happened out of nowhere. And like you said, they're now sitting in first place, and, the, you know, everyone was talking about the Reds, but here are the Brewers 10 games over 500. Um, that'll be a really good series. They're 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 going to Philly um for a three-game set here to start the week. Yeah, and I know you mentioned it on the last episode, is getting Brandon Woodruff back healthy would be absolutely massive for them. I mean, when you sit there and they're, I believe, currently 10 games above 500, and Corbin Burns hasn't been himself, Freddie Peralta hasn't been himself, Brandon Woodruff hasn't been healthy, Aaron Ashby's been out since the beginning of the year, and they're sitting at 10 games above 500 when their lineup hasn't performed. Christian Yelich has had some bad luck. His batted ball profile is almost MVP level. Christian Yelich, that's scary team to think about getting hot in the second half, getting healthy and running into the postseason with playing good ball. And in a short series, if you get uh, <laughs> those three guys healthy, Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta, that's a, t- that's yeah. a tough out in the playoffs. Yeah, Friday night Corbin Burns looked like the guy we become, yeah. become accustomed to over the last couple of years. I mean, 13 strikeouts through six innings for anybody is good, but that getting swings and misses on the cutter out off the plate um, is super impressive. So we'll head uh, back to the East Coast here. Uh, we have Joe from the Hudson Valley submitted this question. What is your favorite pitch in baseball, Dan? I tossed and turned over this one a little bit, so I'm going to let you steal my thunder here, and we're going to sit here and – kind of give our favorite pitches to watch. There's obviously a lot of guys that we love to see. Joan Durant, Splinker. We've got a lot of those guys that throw those nasty splitters. we got some helium heaters here. So what are you going with? So I guess my question would be, and I, I meant to ask this to you before we, we came on air, but uh, are we going specific pitch that a pitcher throws or just a pitch in baseball? Specific pitch of a pitcher. Okay, so I this this is tough for me because, like you said, there's just so many there there's so many fun ones and and guys have ridiculous stuff nowadays. Um, but for me, it's the class A burns cutters. I mean, when when guys are cutting the ball and they're still carrying the velocity and, and generating that movement that they do, um, to me, that's just it's just dominant because you know the helium heaters we've gotten so accustomed to. Everybody's throwing sweep sweepers and and you know variations of the slider. But to see those guys, you know, Classic carries it up in the upper 90s. Burns is in the mid 90s with it, and they both command it. And just to, you know, some of the reactions you get out of hitters, um, whether it's backdooring it and getting guys so frustrated, um, or you know, moving it off the barrel and and you know, breaking someone's bat or just you know, seeing uncomfortable swings. Though I I always enjoy watching, you know, specifically those two guys throw those pitches. Yeah, Dan, every time we record an episode, I remember time and time again why we might not, why we should be not be podcasting together because you steal my answers. Um, but I did have a couple in the back pocket there. Maybe I should go first next time. And I was definitely thinking about Corbin Burns cutter there. Seeing a guy, big league hitters chase 
cutters off the plate that don't from the center field camera they don't look like they move and then it's like catcher full extension cross body like reaching into the the lefty batter's box to catch it and just right-handed hitter just swinging through it like you're like that was must have been nasty like that must have been especially when he can combine it with that sinker and they just like cross paths the other way and and you don't know if you're going to get caught looking or if you're going to swing at something that's in the first base dugout it's really fun to watch those pitches um couple honorable mentions can I can I give you a couple honorable mentions here? Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say mine's Felix Batista splitter. Yeah, yeah, wow, that's a that's a Felix Batista's anything. Yeah, is a Fair. is an honorable budget. But the first, what was it? how many starts did we get out of him? Four, five, six. Jeffrey Springs changeup at the start of the season was like, you know, throwback Johan Santana left side changeup, just absolutely getting swings and misses where guys are are, are missing by three, four feet. It feels like. Um, obviously his fastball command to the glove side set that up. And that's what Johan Santana used to do so well was like, just rush you in with, you know, 94 and then throw a, a just a ridiculous change up off of it. That looks like it stops to the hitter. Um, so that's a, that's an honorable mention for me. I had to think about that's that. A, one that's one. a fun one. I'm, I'm all on board of all fun Jeffrey Springs talks because he is an absolute stud and he, he was getting ready to push his name into the top echelon of starters across baseball. So we're going to head into a couple questions here about the trade deadline. We're now 17 days, 16 days away from the trade deadline. It's creeping up on us quicker than we, we thought. And obviously there are big names across the league. We're going to kick it off here. Obviously, we are going to talk about the big fish. Um, but Antonio from Nanuet asked, what should the Yankees do at the deadline? Should they stand pat? Should they make a big deadline move or even sell? The Yankees, as it stands right now, they just lost an in extra innings, concluding a series with the Colorado Rockies, where they lost the series. They lost two out of three. They're tied for last place with the Boston Red Sox. They are 50 and 44, so they are six games above 500. But as it stands right now, they are nine games out of first place behind the Tampa Bay Rays and obviously sitting well behind the Baltimore Orioles as well. So what should the Yankees do, in your opinion, Dan? Um, I <laughs> this is such a tough one for me because um, it, it you could almost go in every direction with this. And what's funny is is the big deadline move for me. I would say no, except for the fact that it's the Yankees, and that's kind of almost what's expected of them. So I'll knock that one out. Um, if they do make a move at the deadline to add to their roster, to me, it should be something that's you know, more minimal or something a little bit more creative. But um, they do have a 12-game stretch with the Mets, Houston, Baltimore, and Tampa Bay coming up. Now, obviously, the Mets are their own disaster, but it's a subway series. Those teams are going to play each other tough. Then you look at that those other nine with Houston, Baltimore, and Tampa Bay. They could be flirting with 500. I think it's realistic to think that they could only be two games over 500 when that stretch ends. And if that's the case, to me, it's move the parts that – you know, are on expiring deals, guys that you that have a little bit of value. Unfortunately for them, you know, I don't know if there's any, you know, pitchers they would want to move. You would want to sell more from the offensive side, and there's no one on the offensive side of the ball for them that really you would be selling low on all of them. I think that's fair to say. So yeah, that's even tough a little bit. But you know, some of the guys that they can maybe out of the bullpen that they can that are that are replaceable, you know, get 
get some some value back for that, get some prospects, and then make your moves in the offseason to try and get back to, you know, in playoff contention. Look, it's just a couple of years in a row. Well, last year, look, last year they were one of the best teams in baseball. A lot fell right for them. But this year, they, it just hasn't worked out, and that roster hasn't worked out. They have to get creative because there is too much talent on that roster still to to be, you know, not in playoff contention. Yeah, so I'm actually gonna gonna disagree with you here. Um, as it stands right now, they're one and a half games out of the wild card, which is something to keep in mind. But when I look at this Yankees roster, I look at the fact that they are not good enough to be the New York Yankees, right? Their expectations, what that organization expects, what that fan base expects, what those players expect to be, and what the expectations that they carry every time they play a game and the pressure that comes with being in New York, as the lineup's constructed right now, they're just not good enough. What is going to fix that? What they what they're doing of standing pat, small deals, all the stuff like that, that's what they've been doing for the last four years. At some point, right, they're going to have to do something bold. They're gonna have to do something big. And there's no better time than this deadline to make something happen with the three names that are potentially available, right? The Shohei Otanis, Juan Sotos, and even Nolan Arenados of the world, who each in their own right could be a fit with the Yankees. My problem becomes, what do you do, right? Because the Yankees, we've seen this, right? They, they didn't even reach out to Bryce Harper. Why? Because they had abundance of outfielders, right? They had just added Stanton. They, ju- they had Judge. They had Clint Frazier, who still looked like a, a decent prospect. They had signed Hicks long-term. Like, we look back at that, and that's colossal failure, Right. They don't even they don't really make a serious offer to Corey Seager because Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Peraza, Glaber Torres, you look at what Corey Seager's become, and this roster could use a Bryce Harper and it could use a Corey Seager. And that's what the Yankees of old had. They need a face next to Judge. Right now it's Judge and Co. And it's been Judge and Co. since the all-star break of last year. Right. Nobody else has stepped up to be that superstar along with Judge. And expecting guys like Anthony Volpe, even Glaber Torres, even John Carlos Stanton past his prime, Anthony Rizzo past his prime, and any pitchers, pitchers will never be the face of your offense. They need a big fish in the middle of that lineup next to Aaron Judge and being aggressive on a Juan Soto, being aggressive on a Nolan Arenado and taking on a contract. I know he's old. You're kind of just doing the same thing that they've been doing. Or even, and I don't know if a deal can line up, we haven't really heard any mock-up proposals for Shohei Otani. You get Shohei Otani in that lineup, you give him a blank check because you are the New York Yankees, and that's my kicker with all of this. We talk about the offseason them adding. No, go get your superstar, sign him to a contract because you're the New York Yankees, go compete for a World Series this year, go compete for a World Series in the future because you have an open checkbook if you want to have an open checkbook. And if you trade for Juan Soto or Shohei Otani, you could lock them up for the next 10 years. The only thing I'll say to that is I don't know if one of those pieces fixes them right now. They have much more work to do. You don't. We don't know if we're going to even see Aaron Judge for the rest of the season because of the injuries. Instead of it's giving up resources to go week. get... Yeah, but if, instead of giving up resources to go get Shohei Otani, just give up money, which you have more than anyone else, to do it. That would be but my. If own, you, you know what I'm saying? Think, like you don't. If I don't you think, think you're going to make away. an offer, no. But if you think you're going to make an offer in November, December, you have six months to make sure he doesn't hit free agency, right? And that's my biggest thing. Is sure Shohei wants to hit free agency. 
We saw it with Mookie Betts when he was traded to the Dodgers. Offer him a number he can't turn down and prove to him that he deserves to be a part of this organization in the face of this organization and just make sure he doesn't hit free agency. It's never going to be an issue to have six more months to convince Shohei Otani that he should be a part of your organization. And the same thing with Juan Soto, a year and a half of Juan Soto to prove that he should be a Yankee. And again, I don't know if the Yankees have the assets to do this. That's besides the point. But I think they're at the point right now where they need a superstar worse than bad and if you can trade for Otani and you can get six months of leverage in negotiations, he knows what it's like to be in New York. He can find a place to stay. He can start to get accustomed there. You should take advantage of those six months no matter what it costs because you are the New York Yankees. This is not the Tampa Bay Rays trading for him and saying, we hope we sign him. No, if the Yankees want to sign him, they can get a deal done and they just got that $25 million a year sponsorship on their sleeves going around too. And like, People could say that doesn't matter. That's huge. That's another player of well above average um, replacement level player that you can pay a year. That's $25 million a year going to a new player. So I think it's something that you should never – you don't want to test because if he goes to L.A., lock him up, you never see a chance. right? You don't even have a chance to throw money at him. But again, I, don't, I think to your point, I don't think that – I don't think Shohei, wherever he gets traded to this year, is going to sign an ex- extension until he gets to free agency. I don't think his agents are going to let him get there. He's going to get – because what's going to end up happening if he when he gets to free agent this year is the price is going to get so inflated because there's going to be two teams like the Yankees and Dodgers bidding against each other. And, if you know, like I just don't think – I think that as soon as he's traded, Shohei would – his camp would come out and say he's not signing an extension. Well, the, the reason I say you could because there's always going to be a threshold, right? Like I get Shohei's going to break these thresholds, but like again, like what is he worth? He, hey, Shohei, here's 13 years, $600 million. Is his camp saying no to that, right? That's a record-breaking deal by over $100 million. Like – no, probably. You know what I'm saying? Probably saying, not. No, I don't dep- think they do say no to that. It depends on. I mean, but couldn't they also say no and then come back, come free agency when the Dodgers call say the Yankees offered us 13 years, 600 million? Where you at? Yeah, and I think I think execs are gonna like. There's like I said, there's a threshold that all these teams understand. Like nobody's gonna go astronomically above what they deem the value is. Right, maybe an extra year where you add a lump sum of an extra sixty million a year or whatever you're paying them a year, right? But you can already see the pinstripe, you know, jerseys walking around that have the Otani name on the back, right? Sure. Like that's six hundred million in jersey sales in the first month. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's worth it in that. So it'd be interesting. I mean, again, like everybody thought Mookie Betts was adamant about getting to free agency. That's why the Red Sox traded him, and the Dodgers said, "Welcome in." COVID's about to strike. Here's a $400 million contract and you're a Dodger for life. And everybody's like, you only gave up Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs and Connor Wong for 12 years of Mookie bets. Right. Like that is like, just offer him a number. He can't turn down. And I get Otani's a unicorn in that, but just offer him a number. He can't turn down and and get a deal done. They did it with judge. Hal Steinbrenner picked up the phone and said, judge, what do you want? I hear the giants are offering this. He said, 391. He goes, 391 it is he was signed the next day right you can do that you have the money to do that and you're the new york yankees so it'll be interesting to see so obviously we already kind of kick-started this conversation so we'll go into it. will otani be an angel on august 1st of 2023 yeah i said it the other day i think so i just think that the angel i mean 
the reports are obviously coming out where I'm looking wrong. This is just me digging my heels in. I don't have a strong stance on this. I mean, if you, if, you know, the betting markets are probably saying no, right? He's not going to be an angel. But just because I, I said it the other day, I'll stick with it. I mean, I think they'll probably get an offer that blows them out of the water and, and they'll accept it. And I probably think that's the smart move at this point, as unfortunate as, as that is for the angels. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's not going to be an angel because I think they're going to have to look in the mirror and understand, hey, A, we've probably made an astronomical amount of money off of Shohei Otani. B, realistically, we've probably made tried to make contract talks and he doesn't want to come to the table because he wants to win. C, this is a life-changing opportunity to reset our organization and move in a different direction, right? And then I even think the next step for the Angels at this point, we're looking similarly to the, what the Miami Marlins were of get rid of Mike Trout's contract too and try to get him to a contender. That's right? exactly like, what I was going to say. Yep. It's, it's the next step of this and you can reset. I mean, look at what the Miami Marlins are. You're talking about Sandy Alcantara, came back in the Marcelo Zuna trade. Obviously, you had um, Zach Gallen as well that you turned into Jazz. Like so many pieces that came out. Like if you trust your scouts and your your people that are in your organization, you can flip your organization on a dime and, and not necessarily – you're going to regret moving on from Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, but you're not necessarily going to regret the decision to get the assets in return that you got. It's the same conversation we have with Juan Soto. Like, yeah, you're not yes. going to get Mike Trout and Shohei Otani back, but you can set your like you can set yep. your your organization up for the next you know phase of it. And like, yes, you have to swallow that pill. And there's going to be jokes made online, and and people are going to bash you, and that's okay. Yep. You know, sometimes it's the you know if you love something, let it go. Yeah, you're going to lose that deal, but it's about making sure the health of your organization is in the best position right. possible. And that's what these trades do. And that's why I think the Angels are going to say we have to. Like they don't I don't think they have a choice at this point in time. They've maximized like the Otani jersey. So like what what could happen over right. the next six months that is going to change the Angels organization that makes it worth holding on to them? So we'll go into the next part of this question. What does an Otani trade even look like? And how many top prospects can the Angels get? We'll, we'll is, stick with how many top 100 prospects can the Angels get? This is get? so hard to answer because – I've never sat in the chair of a general manager, but you look at, you know, similar trades is what you typically do when you try and predict this stuff out. Right. And that's what every one of your favorite beat writers does. And when you look at the Juan Soto trade, right, that's, you know, he's of the caliber you would think of Shohei Otani. The difference was you're getting two and a half years of Juan Soto. You're getting three months and unless you can resign him, but you don't know that. So you're getting two months of Shohei Otani but at the same time, everybody in the world in contention needs what? An impact bat and a starting pitcher. You're getting an MVP caliber bat and a, and a top of the rotation arm in one player. So I don't know. Is it crazy to say four? But I don't know how many people have four. Like how many, you know, there's only very few teams that have four in the top 100 that are in a position to make the deal because they're also in contention. That's what makes this so tough. You might see... You know, there might you might have to give up some big league roster talent. Like I look at Tampa Bay right now, they have the farm system where they could probably give up two, three top one hundred prospects and one of the young guys who um, 
is on their big league roster now, and I still think it would be worth it. Those are kind of the organizations you have to look at. If you're the Yankees, you know, you have to give up, you know, Dominguez and 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 um, Peraza. Peraza. Like, you, that, they're gone. And then probably throwing, you know, some of the arms they have down there. It's, it's interesting because it's so hard to say. And, again, I think when you saw the reports yesterday, the Angels are listening, which means they're basically saying, come blow us out of the water or we're just going to hold on to them. Yeah, and I think, again, you bring up the good point that the Juan Soto trade, it will be interesting because I think the prospect hall will be better. I think you're talking about similarly four for one, four legitimate what you deem top 10 in your organization prospects right away, five to 10. Um, But I have a hard time imagining that fourth piece or what would be... Yeah, the fourth piece is a big league player for, because of the half of the year. I think that all the trade talks, like, again, you the Yankees pick up the phone. Hey, we're interested in Shohei Otani. Okay, start the deal with Volpe. You hang up. You restart. Right. You go, hey, we're really interested. We will give, like, the fourth piece of that deal, right? The C.J. Abrams, that is that fringe big leaguer 4A guy that the Nationals got – that guy turns into just another high ceiling prospect. And obviously Mackenzie Gore was the big league piece. I think he's also a top prospect. So I think that it's going to be because Wood, Susina, Harleen Susana, and Gore were the three main pieces of that deal that came back. And then you're replacing Mackenzie Gore with another top 100 prospect because I think the Nationals believe they got two in Susana and... Um, Wood, obviously Wood's a top 10 and it's the top guys obviously got to be a, a, a top, top guy, like top 15, top 20 guy in your mind and then replace it with the kind of one of those extra high ceiling prospects. And I think that, I think it could get to the finish line. I think we could be surprised, right? Because let's just say hypothetically a, a contender comes out aggressive, right? The Mets want to throw a Brett Beatty back, you know, like, yeah, that completely changes the dynamic. The Angels should get the best deal possible, but I just would have a hard time imagining that especially teams like the Rays, if they're going to be involved, um, and teams that do care about the assets that they do hold on to, would be willing to give up one of their young big leaguers for a half a season of any player, even even a unicorn like Shohei Otani. So I think it's, it's four legitimate top 100, top 10 prospects in your organization immediately, four future big leaguers impact, high ceiling potential, and probably two of them being top 25 to 30 prospects at the top there. And you're probably getting to the finish line potentially with that deal and maybe sprinkle in some other stuff there. Be interesting to see. That's where my head goes, but I, I don't know. Sometimes you could be way off base. And I don't, I don't, I mean, we, we should do, we'll dive into this more, I'm sure, as we get closer to the day. Um, we got a couple of weeks left, but I just want to go on record now saying there isn't a prospect in baseball right now that I wouldn't trade for Shohei Otani for two months. There isn't, of a, there isn't, a four, there isn't four prospects, right? No. Like, right, yeah, there, yeah. No, there you is couldn't not. Take, you, right. You could line up the top four picks in this year's draft if they were all in one organization. I'd trade them for Shohei Otani. 100%. Again, it's and the I, unknown. Yeah. Like, and even if I'm the Angels, there are four – like if I am in the Angels organization, you should have a better read on whether Otani's going to sign or not 
there are pro- there are organizations that have four prospects that I would take a trade for Shohei Otani for a half. For year. sure, because again, back you know? to a point, like sometimes you're gonna lose it. Yes. So you got to set your organization up for the next you know phase of where you're gonna be in the future. So yeah, that's not to say that the Angels are stupid because again, like yeah. you said, they have a feel for whether or not he's gonna come back. They know the direction they're headed in. So yes, there are four prospects that I would trade for trade him for, but there are yeah. also not four prospects that I wouldn't trade him. Which is why my gut feels that something gets done. That's yeah. why my gut tells me he won't be an angel come August 1st because I think that there are going to be people on both sides of that spectrum that feel the same way we do. I would trade anything for him and then they're like, we have to get something back for him and there are combinations that we think outweigh the value, right? Like even when Bryce Harper was almost traded at the deadline for the Nats, like looking back at that deal that they had agreed on with the Astros, it was like Bukaskis and meh. This yeah, is man. not what Otani's Whole getting lot of back man. in return. So right. that makes sense for why they shot that deal down and wanted to keep him, you know, try to make a play for him in free agency. So, Dan, obviously we're, we're in full swing of the second half, which excites us to say that SeatGeek is one of our partners of this podcast. SeatGeek is your essential resource for live baseball. For any of your ticket needs, head over to SeatGeek.com and use promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. So, Dan, we got a couple more here uh, that I want to get into before we let our listeners get out of here. And obviously, we hope everybody's enjoying their Monday morning as they you know, listen to this podcast. More trade deadline conversation. Which team is more likely to sell at the deadline, the Padres or the Mets? And there is a follow-up question that I think might be a different answer. So let me know your answer to this one. Who is more likely to sell at the deadline, Padres or Mets? I think it's (laughs) – this is such a hard question. I think it's the Padres just because they have more resources to sell. You know, when you look at the Mets, what do they really, you know, what do they have to sell? Um, sure, you can move either one of those, the two pitchers at the top of the rotation. You can move fringe outfield bats that aren't having that great of a year in in Canna and Marte. But you're, you're, you just inked Nimmo. You're probably not going to move on from him. You're not going to probably move on from McNeil. I can't imagine you trade Alonzo. He's the one to keep an eye on. Now, the market for power hitting first baseman is always there. You know, someone needs a bat in the middle of their order. You can now, you know, universal DH opens up things, especially more for you know, to see first baseman move at the deadline. So he's the one that makes you keep an eye on them a little bit. But for the Padres, you have some 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 items that you can move. Um, un- the U Darvish contract looks really bad right now for the Padres. Um, and if you hadn't signed them to it, you could probably still get value, especially if he has a couple more strong starts. Obviously, you have Soto, um, and you have some other pieces there that you can move and still kind of recoup. And to me, it's it's the Padres because they need to they need some stuff to replenish that farm system. Even though they're going to continue to try and compete in the next coming years, they just need anything in that farm system because it had gotten so you know worn down from the moves they have made in the past couple of years. Yeah. So. This is what I mean. We talked about this this off season, and I know we were we were 
I mean, I guess I say we freely, but um, we were pro player in terms of the contracts that were signed. Um, I think one of us got kind of ridiculed on here for being anti-player, if I remember correctly. Um, but you look at both of these organizations and the complaints that we had for these long-term contracts is where do you go? When you don't right. win, where do you go? You have right. Xander Bogarts, you have Manny Machado, you have all you Darvish, you have Joe Musgrove, you have Fernando Tatis, you have all these assets locked up. You feel like you don't have the right mix. Where do you go? You have nowhere to go. The Mets are the same way, right? You have Verlander and Scherzer on huge contracts. You have Alonzo's the only one not locked up that has value. Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor are all locked up. And, you know, sure, if they were potential free agents, they'd net a haul. So I think in terms of I'm with you, the Padres are the more likely one to sell. You've seen Seth Lugo had a good, have a good year as a starter. You can get something back for him. Blake Snell's been absolutely phenomenal ace level. Blake Snell, you could get probably something really good back for him. Maybe a couple of their smaller pieces that they've added recently, you could get a get at least something back for. And then obviously the big fish there, which is Juan Soto, and, and depending on which direction. Again, and, and this is why coming out of Friday, I thought there was no way the Padres were going to sell. I thought they were going to get rolling downhill. I thought they were going to play good baseball. I thought they were going to compete for a playoff spot. Now we sit here today, and and I don't know if you have an update on the end of the score for the Phillies, if either team won. Um, but Phillies, Phillies win in 11. Yeah, who now lost three out of four from the Philadelphia Phillies after having a really good game. You're sitting at, as it stands right now, you're talking about a team that's 44 and 56 games below 500 and 10 games back behind the Dodgers from first place. You have nowhere to go with the guys that you've locked up. Juan Soto can at least bring something back. The Mets have nowhere to go. That's just being <laughs> frank. Like they, they're locked up. And, you know, you mentioned Pete, and I think that, you know, obviously he could bring something back. So I think the Padres are more likely to sell. But I do think that the next question is something that's interesting is, is Soto or Scherzer more likely to be dealt? I'll start with this one. I think Max Scherzer is more likely to be dealt than Juan Soto. I think he is a guy that he might not net a prospect return that the Mets are looking for necessarily, but he looked very good today against the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's had very good stretches of starts. He still at times looks like the Max Scherzer of old. And there's a hungry playoff contender that could use some starting pitching somewhere. Right, whether everywhere. it be the Tampa Bay Let's Rays, whether it be the Cincinnati Reds, yeah, everywhere that could use a veteran presence at the top end of their rotation, who could bring back, you know, a, a, a top one hundred prospect for a forty year old. Sign me up if I'm the Mets organization and getting something back. If we feel we're not going to make the playoffs, right? You're still sitting at seven games below five hundred, and you're eighteen and a half games. <laughs> you're Sorry, um, <laughs> behind the, the Atlanta Braves there. Um, and you're not exactly in a spot. You're eight and a half games back of the wild card with teams that are pretty pretty solid ahead of you, and including the Philadelphia Phillies that are playing really good baseball. So w- where do you go? I think that Scherzer is the most likely name to move. I think Soto is just – the Padres just have to make that decision. And if they do, it would be worth it, but I don't know if they will. Yeah, I think Scherzer's the answer here. There's so many teams that, that that every team that's in contention needs starting pitching. You can never have enough right arms. And and this is a guy with a, obviously a tremendous resume and track record. So adding him and like you said, he's over 40. He's you know, a short term deal, and and so he's 
he's not going to net the biggest return. So there's a lot of teams that could be in play for him. So if they're Mets, like you said, there's nowhere for them to go. This at least gets you something. And for the Padres, I think their asking price is going to be huge for Soto because of what they had to give up to get him to. And I'm not saying that's wrong by them. I just don't know if as many teams are going to be willing to do it. And you could see the Padres. Like it's easy for the Padres to go into next year not having moved him and, and taking another crack at re-signing him and having another full year of him with this roster returning and say, okay, we can win this year, last year, whatever. We just didn't click. This year we've got it. It's a lot easier to sell than the Mets. My question is, if you're the Mets, though, can you sell to your fans trading Pete Alonso? Like, is that not no. just waving the white flag? Like, that's like you said this and you made this point in the offseason. Like, you better keep, like, you know, what, what's the phrase you used to Uncle Steve? You should keep that same energy. You better keep that, keep that, better same, keep that energy, same energy. Right? And Next we'll, offseason, we'll, keep that same energy. We'll, we'll see because they're, I mean, this has been a, this has been a disaster for both of these teams. I mean, you couldn't have roadmapped a worse season for these two teams when the spring training started. You're talking about two teams that were talked about by everybody as two of the, the biggest favorites. And you go back to May, and last point, we can move on, sorry. Pete, Pete Alonso is yelling, throw it again. They were three games out of uh, first place when he, when he was doing that. And that's not to take a shot at him. I'm just saying, think about that. They were three games out at one point. When they were in that Atlanta, wasn't that long they've, ago. they've lost 15 games in the division in that sense, and they're nine out of the wild card, and the Padres are now eight out of the wild card. It's It's been a disaster for both clubs. Yeah, I think that – yeah, I, again, and that's what – that was my big thing too is like, again, Steve Cohen didn't make money spending stupid money, right? And right now there are contracts that look like stupid money. You have to take a step back and say, if I'm spending this much money and we're seven games below 500, we need to change the process. And we wonder why owners are, aren't are willing to go deep in the free agency the way Steve Cohen is. And I'm not defending them by any stretch. I'm just saying when you're talking about building a contender, they just have seen the light and say, you know what? It is a more sustainable model to build a contender this way, right? Not spend big on free agents, not lock guys up long term, not do all these aggressive moves in the offseason, build from within, build through player development, build through all these decision makers, build through trades, build through those types of things. And that's why you see owners that are reluctant to spend, right? I think the organizations, I would love to see the Rays, those organizations that do it well, spend more. Like a salary floor would right. actually be good because then you're talking about adding little bits and pieces here, kind of like the Guardians did with Josh Bell. And I don't think it's necessarily played out to the way they thought it would. But like you add in a little free agent sprinkle on top of the fact that you're an elite player development organization and it wins. And I wonder if Steve Cohen's sitting back right now understanding the concept that like I can't just be the kid in the candy store throwing money at everybody because there's a reason why these processes work in Tampa Bay, in Baltimore, in even Cincinnati, like these organizations that have built contenders that blow you out of the water and what they've been able to do this year. And they haven't spent a fraction of what you've spent this year. And it's going to be interesting to see. And again, the opposite side of that is what if he gets flared up and says, trade everybody, we need to win now. Like Juan Soto's a free Juan Soto's available. I don't care if it's Brett Beatty. I don't care. Everybody except Alvarez, right? Would probably be like aggressive Steve. Like we're talking about Steinbrenner, he turns into back in the 90s and early 2000s. Like you're talking about trade everybody except yeah. Alvarez. Alvarez has been good. So they wouldn't trade him, but it'll be interesting to see which side of that spectrum that they said, but I'm sure the Mets are going to reflect on what what they did and and why it didn't work. So a couple more questions here Dan, so 
this will be a fun one for us because we we definitely have to eat crow when we when we have the opportunity to eat crow. You know, we like to think we're always right, um, but we'll eat our we'll take our licks when we need it. What makes Luis Arias so valuable, and how has he rejuvenated the Marlins organization? Do you want me to take this one first? Since I'm, I just want to know if he's if, are we being trolled with this question? I think I'm being trolled. I, I think so, but I will answer this question in earnest. If if you're if you want, I'll go ahead. I, but I, whoever asks is not going to love my answer. First, my my first, I have a question to a question here. So valuable. What's his value? I guess is my first question. In, in this person's opinion, would be my so first question. I, I mean, didn't put in the whole question that has he seems to be the missing piece that has allowed them to become a playoff contender. Okay. So I'll say they're good. Great. That <laughs> sets me up for my, for my finish here. One, if you want to talk about his value, he's elite hand-eye coordination and bat to ball. He doesn't have enough power. We've talked about that the other day. So I will say that he has elite hand-eye coordination and bat to ball, which is really hard with the stuff that you're seeing in, in every day from pitchers in major league baseball to not have the swing and miss. Um, that's impressive. That's what his value is, right? Cause he's not, a, he's not a plus defender. He's not a plus runner. He's not a plus power guy. His, his value is an elite bat to ball. Um, I would say he hasn't rejuvenated the Marlins organization. I would say that, you know, some of the pieces along with him in the lineup, but mainly Edward Cabrera, Yuri Perez, Jesus Lazardo, Sandy Alcantara, and a bullpen that's pitching a little bit over their skis is what's really done it because they, rank in the second half, you know, in the bottom half of the league in offense. So to me, to see a team in their position, when you rank in the bottom half of the league in offense, you point to the pitching staff, which has been terrific. And those are a bunch of really good young arms. So to me, that's what's rejuvenated them and been the missing piece this year is those arms being that good. Braxton Garrett too. I always forget him because he's not as fun and electric, but Braxton Garrett has been terrific and he's another young, really good pitcher that they have. Yeah, I think that you make a good point about them ranking in the bottom half of most offensive categories, um, except for obviously batting average. They've done a very good job. And, and I mean, credit to um, their decision makers for building a contender, right? They went against the green. We kind of came at them for it, and it's it seemed to be working, right, because they're giving their pitching a chance to win. The big thing I will say is, in my opinion, you want to talk about rejuvenating the Miami Marlins. There is a name in their lineup that is not Luis Arias who has done that, and that's Jorge, Jorge Soler, Soler, who has run it back to 2021 World Series and has 24 home runs with a 248 average and a 521 slug and above an 850 OPS. This lineup without him, their leading home run guy, would have 12. Luis Arias would be nothing if he was on base for nobody, right, <laughs> at the end of the day. And Jorge Soler's ability to drive him in, I mean, he's sitting as it stands right now with 52 RBIs in 91 games. So that means he's on base to get very close to 100. And being able to combine him with the contact hitters that they've put in this lineup, John Birdie's hitting 272. Obviously, Arias is hitting 380. Jesus Sanchez is hitting 260. Brian De La Cruz is hitting 272. Garrett Cooper's hitting 262. Right? These are all guys outside of Jazz Chisholm, who's been hurt a lot this year, who have stepped up and helped this team become a serious contender. But your point about the pitching is that that has been the turnaround. Right? You're looking at Jesus Lozar. 
Lizardo, 3.29. Braxton Garrett, 3.90 with more than a strikeout per inning. Sandy Alcantara obviously takes the ball every fifth day. He's the reigning Cy Young winner. You have Yuri Perez, who's 2.36 ERA through 11 starts with 61 strikeouts. Tanner Scott's been really good out of the bullpen uh, with a 2.84 in 44 in a third inning. So it is the combination of the whole roster, but... Luis Arias deserves as much credit as anybody. I just don't think they would be in a playoff spot had it not been for the huge return to form by Jorge Soler, who has rode this roller coaster over the past couple years. The high highs and the low lows, obviously, I mean, this lineup's no different than last year, except with Luis Arias at the top, who's hitting what he is. They're not in a playoff spot, and they weren't in a playoff spot last year if Jorge Soler is not there. So Jorge Soler seems to be the missing piece for this team, and more more so, not more valuable, more so than Luis Arias. So this, uh, this question I thought would be a fun one here. We have pick one of each to build your organization around. Pick one pitcher. Pick one position player and pick one prospect. If you're going to start your organization today, who would you choose in each of them? We'll try not to overlap with anybody here. Yeah, this is going to be really tough for me. Um, so we're, I'm sorry, we're doing one prospect, one position player, and one pitcher, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go kind of, I guess, stockish here. I'm going to go uh, Wander Franco. Um, as my position player, I mean, he's a shortstop, he's young, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the best young position players in the game. And again, we kind of continue to not talk about him. I feel like as much as we should, uh, when you look at it, he's, he was a prospect that we couldn't stop talking about. Now, since he's been in the league for a couple of years, we've kind of forgotten about him. He was an all-star this year. Um, he's fantastic. Uh, the, the, um, prospect I'm going to go with is uh, Jackson Churio because I like to build my teams up the middle. He's highly thought of. He's highly ranked. I do love Jackson Holiday, um, but I have a shortstop on this in my organization. Um, I guess I could have more than one, but I'll go Churio just in case you want Holiday. And on the mound, this is really tough for me because I, there's so many good pitchers um, and you, you kind of want someone that's younger, I guess, in this uh, scenario here. So you know, would I be crazy to go with a Yuri Perez? I probably would, and I don't think I'm going to. Instead, I'm going to go with Spencer Strider. I think his his you know his best days are still in front of him. I mean, this is only his second season in the league. He he misses bats. You know, I know his ERA is a little bit higher than you would expect, but he gets swings and misses at a rate that we haven't seen before. He's the most strikeouts ever through however many starts he has um, in big league history. Uh, and you know, to me, that's something that you can count on year over year batted ball luck you can't count on if guys are missing bats and miss bats at the rate that he does you can count on that so that's a guy that you can just you know the Braves are gonna be able to put him in the top of the rotation for the rest of forever and just kind of kick their feet up every time he goes out there year over year he's gonna turn in you know borderline all-star borderline Cy Young numbers yeah it's funny because I was just thinking about this question obviously and the fact that neither of us are probably going to pick Shohei Otani more because <laughs> of just like you can't have him do both in this scenario, right. at least from the right. way I viewed the question. Same. That like unless I'm picking Shohei Otani the hitter and Shohei Otani the pitcher, which would be very valuable in each of their own, you could argue uh, would be the choice on either or. It's kind of just easier to go with like a little bit because we, it's not like we're just having a utility here where we can throw Otani and he can do both. So my pitcher is going to be Shane McClanahan. 
Um, he's obviously been very dominant for the Tampa Bay Rays. He has the age on his side. Big fastball, changeup, and curveball are both really good. My position player is going to be Ronald Acuna Jr., um, who's the most talented and probably the most dynamic player across the baseball. And we've obviously talked about this uh, plenty of times over the last couple of weeks as we previewed the second half. And last but not least, my favorite, probably the only prospect that I would fall in love with, wouldn't trade for anything. I'm usually anti-prospect, but this is a guy that's got my heart. Um, he's my own personal cheese ball, and that's Jackson Holiday. Um, I'm not going out on a limb there saying that I love him. Uh, just love the skill set. I think if there's any transferable skills, the ability to put bat to ball, he doesn't strike out. He hits for power. He hits for average. It's just an elite of the elite profile. Everything is loud. Everything is hard. Everything is barrel. It's no questions for me. He's the best prospect in baseball as it stands right now. And I think having the ceiling combined with this, the safe floor that Jackson holiday has, I'm going with those three. And I think that that's a pretty formidable trio. Maybe we'll throw a poll out on Twitter, Twitter to see who um, prefers, which one, which side everybody prefers and whether it would be Dan or I. So Dan, last question of the day. If you could pick any college player to play quarters against the wall with, who would it be and why? I don't. I don't know if I have an answer for this question currently. I'm trying to. I've been sitting here trying to rack my brain. There's a lot of guys um, that you would you would want to go um, and play that with. Give me. I'll, I'll go with Chase Burns just because maybe I can get a couple minutes to uh, talk to him about his decision to to go to our Demon Deacons um, out of the transfer portal, which was huge news for the wake. And he's a pitcher, so good competition for quarters against the wall. For anyone who doesn't know what quarters against the wall is, if you've seen the documentary uh, The Last Dance, uh, it's the game where you toss a quarter at the wall and, and whoever gets it closer wins. Um, that Michael Jordan was playing with a security guard before a playoff game, I think. But, yeah, I'll go Chase Burns just because um, unique question here. Uh, shout out to whoever asked it, but I'll go Chase Burns um, to see if I can figure out what the thought process was there uh, to pick a wake over some of the probably every other school in the nation that reached out to him. Yeah, th- this was this question came from from Tom from Media Pennsylvania. Um, go. He, he says he's a loyal listener of the pod. Um, actually, I think he's more up in the Pottsville area, if I if I'm not mistaken. But Col- um, Collegeville would probably Collegeville, be the correct answer. Whatever there. it is, yeah. who cares, <laughs> Tom? Um, I don't really have an answer for this question, to be honest with you. Maybe we could start a start a little thing here when we get on boots on the ground in person interviews that we do like a little fun interview while we play quarters against the wall and ask questions. That would actually be a really good idea. Now that it was brought to my attention, where like we have a player on, I'm gonna go. Dylan Cruz like obviously why not um maybe Riley Cooper would get a honorable mention mm. there just because he seems He'd electric um but that that might be more Friday night out on the town with Riley Cooper quarters against the wall <laughs> with, with Dylan Cruz would probably be the best way I would describe that so um because he looks like he he has he has handled some bush light in his in his life um but any closing thoughts Dan before we get out of here no, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the the mailbags. Yes, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, we'll be trying to put these out in shorter content form. Make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube. YouTube, Phoebe's been doing a great job posting all of our clips up. You want to spend, you, you don't have time or, or 
you know, patience to listen to a whole hour of us ramble. Maybe we lose you in the first couple minutes when I talk about 1790 and pre-revolutionary war and, and you want to question my American history. That's okay. You just, you just, what? I just point of order since it's going to get brought up again. The house was built in 17, I know. In the 1730s. <laughs> yeah. So Dan's home that he grew up in was built in the 1730s. So it was pre-revolutionary war, um, which is, which is super fun. And that's why the Wi-Fi is phenomenal there. Um, but make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube. Sometimes you want to look at, you know, our beautiful faces and, and you want to see us talk for a little bit. They're on the YouTube page and and you get a little bit of the shorter form content. But that will include our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including like I just mentioned, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.